Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, We're in week two of a series entitled Good Vibes. Now, you know, you got the surfboard, the cooler, but I want you to take note of that chair. If you're over here, let me get it for you. I want to tell you why this chair is here. Because you see, a few years ago, I was at the beach with my friend Rusty, and he brought chairs like this and set them down with the assumption that people like me could sit in a chair like that. (laughs) So trying to be, you know, polite, which is not easy for me, I sat in the chair. And you know what I found? That is a really great way to do the beach until such time as you have to get up out of the chair. So literally, I just rolled over to one side. Rusty looked at me, and I'll never forget, he looked at me and said, you all right? I'm good. Yeah, but I have not sat in one of those since. So that's just a reminder. I think skinny people bring chairs like this to put in front of me just to tempt me. It's like, go ahead, big boy, see if you can get up out of that. So let me just answer that for all of you. No. Can't be done. So I'm going to leave it right there because you're going to understand why in a little bit. So today we're talking about how is it that our vibe determines our jive. We all got a vibe. We all got something that kind of comes off us naturally, a little radar we send off. You know, we're kind of a happy person. We're kind of a bummer person. We're, you know, there's a lot of things in life that... makes up your vibe, you know? I mean, you can't hide the fact you got money. You can't hide the fact if you're stupid. You can't hide the fact, you know, if you're fat. There's a lot of things in life you can't hide, right? And that kind of makes up your vibe. You kind of walk around and people look at you and we kind of assess you. We may not even know you and we just go ahead and kind of figure, "Mm, no, not going to happen. Or, wow, what a great guy. Love, you know, love getting to know him. We all got a vibe. But our vibe is going to determine what comes out of our mouth. I've got a buddy, been buddy with 25 years, and every time I'm around him, it's just kind of a shuck and jive kind of thing where it's just who can throw the worst barb and the most sarcasm into that conversation. And I I have times when I wanted to stop and say, could we just have a real conversation? And seriously, I don't think we can. I mean, he's just one of those guys. And then a few weeks ago, uh, I was reminded that in in a relationship that I have, I was that way to a guy. And, and what I came to find out was I was the guy that was kind of maxing out on the sarcasm. And, and you know what? It, it, it stung to realize, wait a minute, the one thing in this one relationship I've had that just, that just stung me, I was guilty of. Isn't that a lot like life that many times we find what we dislike most in somebody because we actually see it in ourselves? Sometimes the vibe that we put off is is something that we need to recognize every day and every moment of every day. We choose that. The only thing I knew needed to do and the only thing I could do and knew to do was to just stop and go to this fellow and say, I'm just so sorry. Man, I would never want to be that guy in your life. I love you, man. And you know, he received it so well and he said, thank you, which was Two things. One, an affirmation of our friendship. And two, it was an affirmation that I had indeed heard him. But I think we all give off a vibe. What happens from our mouth inevitably is going to set the tone of what we truly are. You see, Scripture teaches us that whatever is in this heart is coming out of this mouth. Whatever we truly believe in this soul is coming out of our mouth. 
inevitably what we truly invest our life in, what we put into our soul, what we gravitate most toward, inevitably is coming out of our mouth. And, and we get to know things about people that often they can never take back because those words are out there. When we kicked off the series about good vibes, I, I had no idea how many of you would jump on board with the daily aha and, and share with the magnets and all that kind of stuff. But the thing that stuck with me all week long, that everything about our vibe, everything that we give off is a matter of our choice. We choose every morning the day we're going to have. We choose every moment of every day the attitude we're going to have. We choose every second of every moment of every day what we're going to speak into this world. I can remember being a high schooler and I, I attended a church that had kind of a hellfire brimstone kind of guy that was a preacher and um, he was maybe 72 or 3 years old but not necessarily in good health and, and he was talking on the evils of alcohol or as he called it, alcohol. And he got all wired up, man. I mean, this guy was jacked up from the word go about alcohol. Now, let me just stop and say a lot of what comes out of our mouth has a lot to do with what our history is. We all bring some baggage from how we grew up or the church we're in, our faith system, whatever. But his mother had passed away, literally drank herself to death. So naturally, his, the great passion of his life was to fight, fight alcohol. And this was back in Gwinnett County, probably in the mid-late 70s. When, when literally Gwinnett County was a dry county. And so he got all fired up about preaching about alcohol, as he said, and he was banging the pulpit man. And we should have put signs out on the front three row, you know, splash zone, because he had sweat flying and spittle flying. He was fired up. And I will never forget, by, uh, about the time he got that sermon to the crescendo, he pounded down on that pulpit and he said, it just makes me mad as hell. And the whole room went, oh. I mean, seriously, what they didn't know is I'd heard him say a lot worse, so I just laughed. I mean, I'm sitting there, and I couldn't stop giggling. You ever been in a church service or something like that where you just can't, you know? Okay, so here's the story. We, we were in a funeral up in North Georgia. I believe it was Julie Whaley's mom. And Jenny, my wife, bless her heart, she, she got bored. So she opened up her phone, thought she had it on silent, started looking for a friend's house. She knows around there. We go visit. And do, do you know that Google Maps will override your silent? So in the middle of that, that funeral, her phone said, exit left, Highway 53. <laughs> I'm telling you, Bobby McGraw got so tickled, I thought he was going to wet his britches sitting right there. I thought I was going to die. And the guy sitting in front of me was my buddy Scott Dorsey. He literally lifted off of the seat about a foot, and it was just voices can get you. I said, you guys, I've told you stories about our youngest daughter, Samantha. She, you know, ADD, ADHD, dyslexic. I mean, when it goes in one way, it's staying that way, you know. And so we had this uh, little uh, baby shower Jenny did for our, our Hindu neighbors out on the front sidewalk in front of our home. And, and we, they put all the, the regular junk y'all put out there for baby shower stuff, you know. And, uh, and so Samantha had gotten ready, and she'd come out. She looked all cute, you know. And she was on her way to just stay there for a minute and scoot on to do things with friends. And she she walked out and she proudly proclaimed as she looked at the table, I love pedophiles. <laughs> I ain't making this up. Jenny was in a mad dash to put her arm around Samantha and said, I think you mean pedophores. 
To which Sam said, I knew it was one of the two, I just didn't know which one he is. <laughs> Our mouth can get you in some trouble if you're not careful. But I promise you, whatever our jive is, whatever's coming out of our mouth is indeed an evidence of what we've put and what we claim is truth in our soul. The truth is, I read this article this week. Let me quote this for you. And it says, you probably talk too much. And there's a good reason for that. Science says that human beings are social animals and we are programmed to use communication as a vital tool to survive and thrive. Then it goes on and says, this wouldn't be a problem except for the fact that science also tells us that our favorite subject to discuss is ourself. People spend little better than 60% of their conversational time talking about ourselves. And on social media, it's a little better than 80%, which is no wonder. I mean, Facebook is a narcissist heaven, isn't it? I mean, if you look at all the posts, I feel so totally in, incomplete based on what y'all post on Facebook. Because looking at your Facebook posts, you haven't missed a sunset in months. I'm telling you, we Christians, we can post some sunsets, can't we? And we can come up with some stuff to talk about them too. And then the restaurants y'all eat at and the pictures you take. Why does my food not look like that? Like I posted a pic a week or so ago. We had kind of a low country boil. And you know, we had a lot, you know, by the way, have y'all realized that if your pastor posts some silly picture or something, I can get like 700 likes. If I put some deep spiritual meaning of life and all the things that the New Testament has to say that is good with you in 20 words or less, I'll get five. There's something wrong with how we communicate. I went on and I read this. A Harvard Business Review reporter said this. I thought this was fascinating. Silence is a greatly underestimated source of power. In silence, we can hear not only what is being said, but also what is not being said. In silence, it can be easier to reach the truth. Words can build us up. Words can build bridges. Words can bridge gaps. And words can restore relationships. But words can also wound and destroy relationships. They can be harmful and cause a great deal of pain. I know that because some of those words will come out of my mouth. I know that because sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will do far worse. I know that because haven't you ever been the recipient of somebody that just wore you out verbally? And it's exhausting. But I bet you there's been a time you've worn somebody out too. But I mean, most of y'all are more spiritual than I am, I know, but there have been seasons in my life, I've got a quick temper. I mean, I got kicked out of weebelos for fighting, for goodness sake. I can be a control freak. I, I, can, I can say things that would help elevate me. I'm guilty of all these. I just think it's worth taking a, a minute and stop and recognize most of us are. Maybe all of us are. Everybody struggles with the mouth. Everybody struggles with that. It is impossible, Scripture says, to keep our tongue under control. I mean, some of the largest vessels on the sea or some of the most powerful animals on the ground can be directed by some of the smallest devices. A horse controlled by a bit or a ship controlled by a helm. Listen to what James wrote in James chapter 3, 
beginning in chapter in verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become leaders in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go whenever, wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing comes pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. The Bible is giving us a category five warning of our tongue, of our mouth, of our words. Scripture is saying, be careful. And you might be sitting here today saying, but I'm a good person, Chuck. But according to the scripture, A, that's not true, and B, the tongue is, it has the power to do great evil, great harm. And you say, well, but Chuck, I, I'm trying. Can I give you this thought? Stop it. Stop trying to control your tongue because you will never win that battle. Scripture is clear here. You then, Chuck, what do I do? The only way that the mouth and the tongue and our words are controlled is when you surrender them to the presence and the power of Jesus the Lord. Just like the rest of our life. What does he say? Jesus said he, he calls on us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind, and our soul. And by the way, have you noticed that between the heart and the mind, there's this one big thing, our yapper. Isn't it clear that God gave us two ears and one mouth for a purpose? And yet I miss that mark all the time. Just listen to me. I would say for most of us, most of our jive comes into four categories. It's kind of a broad base of four different kinds of voice that we use or tendency with our voice that we use. The first one, we'll just label the wicked because it's so much more fun to point out somebody else. So let's talk about those folks. You know, the wicked folks where nothing good comes from their mouth, nothing godly, nothing, nothing Christ-like comes from their mouth. Everything they say is used as a weapon. Everything they say is designed to blow your candle out thinking theirs is going to shine brighter. It's vile and it's, it's cruel and it's mean-spirited and it's crude. The wicked always has to be right. The wicked always has to use false and bad language. The, 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 listen, at the end of the day, the wicked person in their voice, the wickedness in their heart and their souls coming out of their mouth. Let's just take a quick poll. How many of you know somebody like that? Okay, keep them up for a minute. How many of you are that person? Ouch. Because see, what I've learned is that I have the capacity to be that person and be on the other 
part of that scale all in the same day. And most of you do. The scripture was clear here. The same mouth can praise the name of the Lord Jesus and curse the people that he created all in the same breath. You say, well, Chuck, that's not good. That's not right. I know. I'm with you. I look at that and I think to myself, listen to what James said in chapter 1, verse 26. If you claim to be religious, don't, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. James is saying, watch this, you can claim to be anything you want to be, but inevitably what comes out of your mouth will prove what you truly believe. You can say on Sunday morning, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, my mouth, mm, and my mind. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to praise his name. And then by Tuesday at work, I'm back. And that voice is back. And why? Because we, we didn't spend enough time with the divine to surrender our mouth, our tongue, our lives, our mind. And when, I, when my mouth is out of whack, It is because I have chosen to spend more time spewing what I want things to be for my benefit than I have spending time in the presence of God. I look at that and think, man, there are a lot of folks out there that we can picture that their mouth is wicked. But what about the second category, the whiner? I mean, don't you know this person? Every time you talk, hey, man, how you doing? Oh, I'm tired, you know, and we got this thing going on, and And I mean, halfway through it, I'm thinking to myself, so if you're that person, you've talked to me and you've seen my my eyes roll back in my head, it's because somewhere in the middle of all that whine, I stopped listening. Now, I believe we have legitimate concerns. I believe we have legitimate needs. And I believe the church and the pastor's office ought to be a place you can bring those. But listen to me, friend. If the only thing that ever comes out of your mouth is whining and complaining and griping, that is also an evidence of your faith system. Who on earth would want to be a part of a faith system that sounds like all we ever do is gripe and complain and whine about something? I think one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned is this. Never trust a whiner. But can't you hear him right now? Hey, buddy, what's going on this week? Oh, boy. Don't you, this is when you ought to be glad you don't carry a pistol all the time. Because it's like, might want to edit that out of the video. (laughs) But I can look at that and I can think to myself, the Greek word that kind of gets down to whiner and complainer means literally, listen to this, one who is discontented with his lot in life. It's much like the word grumbler. Whining is not a fruit of the Spirit. Whining is not what is the fruit left in your path after you've walked with God. Not one time in the scriptures do you hear Jesus going, oh boy. Not one time do you hear Jesus griping about about his schedule. You know, this is something that I have to, I whine about my schedule all the time. And you know what, Beth looks at me who controls my schedule. Chuck, you know, you're your only worst enemy, right? You're the one that said yes to all that. I know, Beth, but, but, and then I want to go after that but with, yeah, but. You know what I have learned? Whining has never, ever fixed anything. I can't even watch news programs anymore. I don't care if it's Fox, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, CBS. I can't watch any of it because it sounds to me like we just got an hour full of whiners talking about why everything's wrong. Listen, we will never fix America with a slogan. 
We will never fix America by fighting and bittering and, and bickering with one another. We will never, ever fix this problem until it starts in our heart that says, I am not going to whine about this world anymore. I am going to choose to do something positive with this mouth. I'm tired of whining because every time we whine and gripe and complain, we are literally wasting the life that God himself has given us. And I would just stop and say, friend, listen, it is time for Christians to stop whining and griping about the world and go live for Christ out there where it is so unbelievably appealing that others might say, I want what she's got. I want to live like he does. I want the goodness and the grace of God. I want the beauty of Jesus in my life. I want to be at peace. I want to know that my life counts. Then it's pretty simple. All you got to do is start with surrender. Uh-oh. But Chuck, I don't want to surrender my mouth. I want to control it. Okay. How is that working for you? Because you see, when you look at what's going on, our faith system is also revealed through our mouth. Not just what our individual heart believes, but you, you are a billboard for the faith system and the church that you live with. So let's just stop and think about this for a minute. What you do from this afternoon at about 12.20, which is about the time everybody's out of the building, until next Saturday night at midnight, if you're the billboard for Jesus in this community from now to then, what are people going to say about that billboard? Are you going to use that billboard to talk about how unfair and how, uh, how unjust the world is? Are we going to talk about whether we like this politician or that politician? Are we going to talk about policy and why it's not there? Or are we going to talk about the one thing that will change the entire world and that we have surrendered our life, our heart, our head, our body, our lives, our mouth to the presence of the power of Jesus? You see, when we start looking at it that way, we begin to recognize, wait a minute, I know the power of this mouth. Now, I want to stop here before I get to these last two categories. Ready? Please do not hear me point a bony finger of guilt at you. So far, I am plenty guilty of both of those. I am not immune from it, and I have great capacity for wickedness in my mouth. I'm not asking you to judge me, and I'm not trying to judge you. You see, I really do believe God will judge us, that Jesus will forgive us, that the Spirit of God will convict us and hold us and keep us, and it leaves only two jobs for us. That is to love each other and serve each other. But we've got to fix this mouth if we're going to do it well. So I look at that and I think, okay, I've got, I got the wicked and I've got the whiner, but I know folks who are warriors with their mouth too, don't you? I mean, they come in two categories. First, you've got a warrior who is always trying to say the right thing at the right time to the right person. In your office, this is the classic suck-up guy. Who, when, you know, he is one way, and then the guy he has to report to to get the next pay raise, that's when he walks in the office, all of a sudden he's a different dude. Are you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and, and by the way, he's also the guy that's going to step on your hands, your head, your heart, and your kids to get to that next level. But it comes in a second part of the warrior, too, and this is the person who always feels like they have to defend themselves. Somebody says something about me, and they are all at it. They have gone to war. Somebody says an untruth about them, and they're, they're, they're all of a sudden, man, listen, they're strapping up like, they are, like they're a SWAT team ready to go to war. They see something that something's been done or something is said that's not right, and they just want to go at it. 
And man, all of a sudden on Facebook, it lights up and everything they believe and think and they know it just spews out at them. Because I'm a warrior and I'm going to fix it. Have you ever recognized that those folks burn out so fast? They can't sustain it. And we don't know what we're going to get next. The warrior always feels like they have to defend themselves. The warrior always feels like, I, I can't trust that God will take care of me. I've got to fix it. I can't trust that God will come in and do this in my life. I can't trust that God will settle all that, that account. I can't trust that God will handle my finances. I can't trust that God will make that up. I can't trust that God will recover those days. God will recover those months. God will recover those years. I can't trust God on that. 1 Timothy 2.5 has a great statement. For there is one God, and listen to this, one mediator between God and man, a man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all. My friend, listen, you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to try and advance yourself. Psalm uh, chapter uh, 75 says, I warned the proud, stop your boasting. I told the wicked, don't raise your fist. Don't raise your fist in defiance at the heavens or speak with such arrogance. For no one on earth from east or west or even from the wilderness should raise a defiant fist. It is God and God alone who judges. He decides who will rise and who will fall. I served on a church staff one time and um, I really believed that it was, it was time for me to leave and, and, and do something else with my life. And when I left that staff, uh, man, I heard some of the most wicked and awful things said of me. I mean, it, it, the kind of stuff that, I mean, just drills down to, the, to your soul. You been there? Where, where it's, it's like you're, you're thinking, how on earth did they think that was me? How on earth could they believe that? And let me just be brutally honest. Man, you know what I wanted to do? Man, I wanted to load my vocal cannons up and go at it. I, I mean, frankly, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to beat somebody's rear end. I mean, I got angry. Been there? I know that's not pastor talk. I get it. But listen, your pastor every now and then wants to beat somebody's rear end. I'm just being honest. Now, at 57, you, it better be a 70-year-old. I was spewing off venom with wickedness and with a whiner and with a warrior's attitude. And one of the godliest men I know put his arm around me one day and said, Chuck, sounds to me like you can't trust God to fix all that. That you feel like you're the person that needs to step in and go to work at that. He said, I wonder what your heavenly father thinks about his kid right now. I mean, it's just like a gut punch, man. It's like, whoa, I was enjoying whining about this so much. And you came behind me with that spiritual thing. Ouch. And so at that moment, I said, Lord, would you just, would you give me the great instruction necessary to surrender my mouth and my ego and my hurt pride and can I just surrender all that and give it to you? I'm not trying to tell you I saw lights. I didn't have some instantaneous weight lifted off my shoulders. What I did have was a peace and a certainty. God will settle that score. A few years ago, 
I got asked to go back to that same church and do a funeral. And the one guy who had spewed so much venom was the guy I was preaching the funeral for. And man, I got to tell you that standing over that platform and knowing that corpse was in that box, you know how badly I wanted to just go at it because there could be no retribution. That guy was dead as a hammer. I look back on it now and I thought to myself, Lord, what an amazing blessing that you gave me the privilege to preach this man's funeral. I know he went to heaven. And you'll settle all those accounts and when I walk and step my feet on streets of gold, there's going to be nothing to worry about. So Lord, I just want to surrender and apologize to you, Father. I've had this rotten attitude. And thank you for the privilege of being able to stand over this casket and preach his funeral. The Lord has a way of settling scores that are far better than you can. Far better than you and I ever will. Then there's this last court a, a, a group. Let's, let's, call them, let's call these folks, they're the winners. The, these are the winners. The, these are the wise. I think there's probably like three parts of these folks. And they're, you know, they're pretty sharp people. They're, they're pretty aggressive. They kind of know what's going on. I mean, I look at this and I say, well, first thing, the, the winner, the wise, they understand that without the power of Jesus within us, we, we're going to have a wicked jive because our, our tongue can't be tamed apart from him. You know, here's the part that they understood, that surrendering the tongue, surrendering the mouth to be a winner with our mouth required us to have this as the desire of our heart. Jesus, would you come and live in my life? Would you forgive me of my sin, my selfishness? Forgive me of my rotten attitude in my mouth. Thank you for dying for me and raising three days later for me and going to heaven to create a home for all those who believe. I want to be a believer. I want to turn my life around. I want to live for you and not for me. And I want you to be my king and my savior and my Lord. And when that's the prayer, the winners and the wise recognize that when that comes out of our mouth, because that is in the wellspring of our heart, Jesus says, come on, you're my child. You're forgiven. Come live with me. Surrender all that you are so that all that you are can be in him. You see, the winners recognize that's where they're going to have to fix their life. Secondly, they recognize they have the ability and to know that whining and complaining and grumbling and bickering does nothing to change this world, and all it does is waste your oxygen, your energy, and it will spoil every good witness you have. The winner recognizes that, wait a minute, this thing, this tongue, this voice, this has been given as a gift from the Lord to be used for all that is good and righteous and holy. Now, you might could say, well, Chuck, I thought you were a pastor who landed on the side of grace. Oh, I do, clearly. But grace demands more from us, not less. Grace would say, just because you can say it doesn't mean you should. Grace would say it, yes, you, 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 you have every right to gripe and complain, but that doesn't mean it's good. Grace says, your, your job is not to make things right. Your, jo your, job, is, your job is not to, to try to prove you're right. Your job is to make things right. The wise, the winners, they, they don't need to always defend themselves. And they've learned to trust that the Lord God will be their defender. They know that they can trust their creator, their savior, their king. And finally, the, the winners, the wise, they rest in the promise that all advancement, all things good, all things honorable come from on high. You don't have to manipulate them. I was a uh, candidate for a job uh, for really one of the world's largest mission agencies. And um, 
the, the job required a, a PhD in theology. I'm not even a nurse. And so uh, I, uh, about two o'clock, some of you are gonna say, oh, that's good. Um, so they, the, the board of directors of this agency said, well, we'd like, we'd like Chuck to have the job, but he, do, he didn't have the education to meet that. So they decided to put a panel of PhDs in a room and they, they peppered me with theological questions for about nine and a half hours. And I mean, we're talking about, you, you name it. I mean, they asked it, you know? And uh, so before I went in, I called a friend of mine and I said, hey, what should I expect in this deal? He said, well, number one, expect this, whether it's true or not, just expect it. Half the room is for you and half the room's not. Your job is not to try to make people want you. Your job is to speak truth. He said, number two, when you're tempted to give them the answer that you know that person wants, know this, that God requires from you that you speak the truth, even if you disagree with them and even if they run you off. He said, number three, know this, any advancement you may have is not because of the people in that room. Any advancement you may have is from Christ and Christ alone. Every advancement from on high counts and every high Every advancement from on high stays. But every advancement from on high isn't easy. And the last thing he said to me, he said, Chuck, whatever you do, you better be clear about your convictions and leave no doubt. Because what you say will be setting forth the platform for however long you're in that ministry. I was there for about eight years. And I look back on that time and everything in my being wanted to whine and gripe and complain, or I wanted to schmooze and suck up and make it work. I wanted to advance myself. I wanted to have the role. I wanted to make them like me. I wanted them. And everything in me that a true friend said was, Chuck, you better have a rock solid conviction of what you believe and why you believe it, and don't leave it. So if you're here today and you're wondering, where does this thought that Sugar Hill Church is here because we believe the Bible is a very big deal, that Jesus is the single biggest deal in all of life, that when we get him in the right priority in our life, we'll get everything else right, and that our job here is to serve and love people in need here in our community and around the world. Where did that come from? Where did that come up with us? Slogan that you came up when you became the pastor here? No, it was formed in a room with all those folks peppering theological questions and being able to understand that these three things matter. That the Word of God is here to give us instruction and direction, and there is, there is no mistake here. That when you believe that, you'll understand that Jesus is the single biggest deal in your life, and that when we get Him in control of our life, when we rest and surrender all that we have into Him, our life doesn't get easy, but it does get at peace. And it does come with great certainty. And it does come without having to fend ourselves. And when we believe those two things, you're going to use this mouth and these hands and these feet and this mind and these ears and these eyes, and you're going to go serve people because you're going to recognize the need. Your heart will be turned, and the, the, what will come out of your mouth is not, well, you know what, they probably make more money than we do. It'll be, you know what, we were called to serve. It's not our job to judge. We'll speak in love, and we'll, we'll speak about our church, we'll speak about the Lord Jesus, and we'll speak about our family, and what will come out of our mouth will not be tainted with a warrior's attitude. It won't be tainted with a wicked attitude. It won't, it won't be tainted with a whiner's attitude. It'll be tainted with the winner, the supreme classic achiever of all time, the Lord Jesus, who we've surrendered our life and our mouth to. Let's pray.
for some of you, when I say let's pray, the, the, that means, okay, we're about done, get my stuff together, put my jacket on, or pick up my stuff. I just want to ask you, just we just leave all that alone for a minute. You know, what, what comes out of the mouth is, is what's really in the heart. And the only way for what comes out of the mouth to be honoring and to glorify God is for your heart to be surrendered to Jesus. You'll, you, you can't overcome wickedness. You can't overcome being a warrior. You can't overcome being a whiner on your own. It's not about trying to do better. It's not about behavioral modification. It's about letting Jesus have control of your heart. So today, if your desire is to invite Jesus into your heart so that the rest of your soul might be at peace, then I invite you today just right there where you're seated, use your mouth to join me in this prayer. If you want to say it out loud, that's great. You want to say it softly in your, in your chair. You want to say it silently in your, in your head, in your heart. But say it and mean it. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Come live in my life. Make me new. Thank you for dying for me. Paying the price for me. Thank you for raising from the dead and going to heaven to create a home for me. Lord, I don't want to live my life living for me anymore. I want to make a U-turn with my life. I want to live for you. I surrender my life, all of it including my mouth, in the hands of Jesus my Lord. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.